welcome everyone to the 74th episode of Everyday Journal. Tonight we got a couple of guests. We've been away for I think three or four weeks, but I totally lied. We actually only have a single guest. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Say hello to Marius Hausmann, everyone. One of the most accomplished legacy players in Europe who's been around for, I want to say, pretty much the beginning of legacy, even longer. And my regular co-hosts, Matt Pavlik, who, who has made it on the podcast again. So guys, good to see you. Yeah. Hi there, Julian. Hello. How's it going for you guys? Uh, how, how has the, the corona epidemic affected you, Marius? Uh, maybe you go first. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How, are you still going to work? I don't really think, right? Yeah, well, since I'm a teacher in a middle school in Munich and I have a German class, uh, these are uh, guys and girls who came from other countries and have to learn German and don't have any clue about computers, I gave them... A massive amount of uh, worksheets, about 50 uh, sheets of paper, and they have to work on them for three weeks. And I called their parents and asked if they are all healthy and if they are doing their work. And I hope they learn a bit in these three weeks, but um, aside from that, well, we sit at home and hope the best for our family, for the parents for the grandparents and for our friends, of course. And is everyone are around you healthy? Is everybody doing well? At the moment, yes, and all children too. I don't uh, have any friends or family members who are infected at the moment. How about you, Matt? Do you have anybody to show off as infected or are yours all clean? So far, all clean, but uh, it's a weird. We're in a weird place right now. Um, obviously, anybody who's non-essential is not going to work. Uh, however, I'm considered essential in the military. So, congratulations! Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get to wear a special badge? I'm essential. Um, yes, it's a it's a star. But uh, is I'm, it a, really? I'm, a, I'm a shiny. No, there's nothing. There's no. There's nobody like checking to see who's keeping quarantine yet or not. Um, it hasn't gotten to that point yet, but I would say most people are off the roads. There's not a lot of people in the parks. You do see people who are, you know, here and there taking walks and, you know, everybody's keeping their distance. So that's pretty good. Uh, however, I'm essential with the military, so I get to go to work every day. So that's pretty fun. Uh, however, we're not seeing many patients because unfortunately the aerosols created by the hand pieces, unfortunately is the best way to spread coronavirus uh, is through aerosols. So dentistry is a, uh, pretty bad profession to be in right now and do you have any additional security precautions so nobody like accidentally i don't know spits in your face or something we do we have face shields and we are full gowns and it's kind of a kind of a crazy get up so we're basically only doing emergency treatment however there's only a limited supply of gloves and masks because basically the manufacturers are sold out so uh yeah it's an awkward situation it's like i said it's kind of a crazy get up that we have to be in so right now we're just kind of waiting to see what's going to go on and there's a bunch of things i can't tell you so um, oh there's deep <laughs> there's deep uh deep stuff going on so what's the general uh, atmosphere and situation in canada like so you don't have like a lockdown like most european countries have yet we do have a it's not a well it is so it's funny the way canada has decided to take this it's kind of a you should stay at home but there aren't police on the streets enforcing it. Oh, okay, okay. So that's different from, from Germany. Like Germany doesn't have as strict a lockdown as, for example, France or Italy, but it's still like uh, you can go to work, you can buy groceries, and you can meet like your family. But otherwise, if you're outside, at least in Bavaria or part of Germany, you can only be outside when, with one other person and police will like speak with you and be like, hey, why are you outside? And 
if you're outside you are basically to visit uh, your family in hospital for example that's quite harsh because uh, my mom uh, was just in hospital had an operation and she should go to uh, re reha rehabilitation i guess mm -hmm. and uh, they told her no we need a place for corona patients so just go home and wait until uh, your wound gets better itself yeah it's a crazy situation is here as well i mean they're trying to make sure we have enough beds and enough um equipment uh when this thing does start to hit um you know possibly in a few weeks but i think people are kind of taking this seriously because we have had quite a few infections quite a few deaths um obviously a lot of us have elderly parents and grandparents so um you know looking at the data it's obviously i went to several groceries the last days until i found some toilet paper and i asked to a friend who said we have in germany toilet paper for the next five years but uh, the problem is to get the toilet paper to the stores And then I read an article in the United States. They uh, buy stuff too in panic, but they don't pay. Uh, they don't buy toilet paper, but they buy weapons. <laughs> that's so American, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, typically, oh, typically. That's basically like when the hurricane was coming and everybody was like buying guns, and and Trump was suggesting to like like nuke the hurricane and be like, hey, maybe that works. <laughs> that's that's uh I don't, i don't know what to say about that but yeah like the toilet paper situation i when, when it's out of stock like i go to the store and then like the next day it's fully stocked again and i think that's just like a meme I, allegedly i read that even in the past when there have been like crises people always bought toilet paper as the very first thing which makes no sense to me but, but why i mean but why Because you need like, food like, to make use of the toilet paper. And <laughs> you always uh, can use the... Um, Shower? Uh, I don't know the name in English. The stuff you need in the kitchen. You use in the kitchen. The big paper towel? Uh, rolls of paper. Paper towel. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 paper towels. It's essentially the same stuff. Welcome to Everyday Channel, where we give you the best prepping advice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so even here, though, I mean, people are buying toilet paper, napkins, uh, paper towel... And they're just stocking up. And even if you go to the store day after day, depending on what time you go, people are just panic buying this stuff. And so they, ha they have actually put limits on a lot of the grocery stores here where it's like rationed out. It's like one paper product per family. You know, okay. one, one, really one pasta. Know. one Because unfortunately, people are like, well, this is the end times. And I'm... You know, sometimes say, I feel like, all, especially those prepper types, they have a certain desire for the end time to come like even when there's like no special situation going on i always feel like those people they want something to happen and i've been w wondering about this for a long time where does this this impulse this desire come from and i do actually think and maybe i'm reading too much into it it's the desire to be relevant again like if you if you're working like an irrelevant job and your your life is rather pathetic i don't know and then Eventually, you hope like, oh my god, maybe one day my day is gonna come and I'm gonna be the one to save like at least my family and everything, yeah, which is understandable. Guys would be but... the ones who died first. I <laughs> I would bet this. <laughs> and then that's when somebody more powerful just comes and steals all their stuff, and then they're like, ah yeah. shit. You know what actually pisses me off right now? When I go outside, like I just went outside for for yesterday. I went outside for the first time in basically a week, and I just picked something up from the grocery store today. People don't really respect that whole social distancing thing. Um, That's correct. They, they, That's true. They I just, saw it in the supermarket uh, today and yesterday always. 
five, six people um, wearing uh, gloves, uh, gloves, gloves, and masks, but being all together, perhaps not yeah. a, not a, not not ten centimeters from another uh, from yeah. another removed. Yeah, the first supermarket I went to like a week ago. Everybody respected that. I even posted about that on Twitter because I was so impressed by it. But now, just the other hour, I went there. Like people stand in the middle of the aisle and they, I don't know, watch their, I don't know, horse porn on their phone or something because they are so like into it and they they won't leave the aisle and you can never cross there. And and the other ones, they just like almost bump into you and it, it feels like a fucking game of Pac-Man when you try to avoid the ghosts and and they come at you and you feel like, damn, I just want the cherry. That's I don't know. Yeah, that I mean, here me really they've off. actually I, painted lines on the ground, right? And they're actually strictly enforcing, like, you must be. St- if you're not on this line, get fucking in line. <laughs> then, then nothing's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, like this no, is I not get what going you mean. anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, and then, yeah, if a you, lot if of you people give the wearing people visual clues. Yeah, a lot of people wearing gloves, and I'm like, but if you're touching everything with the gloves, then you're kind of missing the point. It's like I see the, like, especially say at the grocery store, the lady who's handling. Or the guy who's handling the cash at the register is touching every product and money and the computer and is not changing in between. So it's like you might as well just be having bare hands and sanitize in between. But yeah. anyway, that's you know what's grossing me out when a place has like towels to to dry your hands, but it's not like disposable towels, but it's always the same towel. I find that so disgusting because basically, like if if they didn't super properly wash their hands, they just spread the germs that way. And yes, that's I don't yeah. know. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> here's here's our short rundown of what's going on in our respective countries. Um, in Germany, we just extended the the lockdown until I think almost the end of April. Uh, so I think 24th of April and might even be extended beyond that. And since most of our listeners actually don't really get to play right now from uh, what we hear, because basically all the paper events have been cancelled, even the big one, the, the 20k that Jeremy put on, uh, we are actually going to do a little bit of a history uh, lesson. We are basically going to turn through the history channel for today's episode, and we are going to look back at the history of the ban list of Legacy. We are specifically talking about bans, not unbans. That would probably be an, an episode of itself, even though the unbans haven't really impacted the format all that much, with <laughs> one noticeable exception, I guess. And that has been one of our most requested topics. So I actually spent quite a lot of time trying to find some uh, interesting tidbits and information about those cards that were unbanned, uh, that were banned, why they were banned, what kind of environment led to their ban. And I think it's great to have both of you guys on because uh, Marius has been playing playing for longer than I am. Uh, I have, and I think Matt, you also have been playing basically since... Yeah, I mean, I've I don't been even playing know about you. since the mid to late 90s, like casually, but in terms of like actual tournaments, probably about 2003. Ah, okay, that's still like a couple of years uh, earlier than I started. So you also, you've been around for the entire history of Legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw the beginnings of Legacy, and uh, if uh, when when you sent me the list with the banned cards, I got so many memories from matches, from tournaments. That was just just great. And the funny thing is, most of the time I predicted the bands in, in our uh, Magic Round quite correctly, but I always, oh, not always, most of the time thought they would ban cards much earlier. But I always had to wait then two or three, even three years for the cards I thought were a bit stupid to go. Yeah, or or, or in case of census dividing top, almost 10 years. <laughs> uh, but let, let's get into that once we get to top. So we're going to go about all of these cards chronologically. 
And something I wanted to start on was to actually tell people, like, where does Legacy come from, Matt? When was the format that we know as Legacy was created? And so, where did it actually evolve out of? Yeah, so, like, you have to go back in time. Like, we're going back to 2000, 2002, and you had a few different formats that you could choose from. You could choose between Type 1, Type 1.5, and Extended. So, Type 1 was basically, is the equivalent to Vintage, right? So, it was Power 9, and that was, uh, the, and that restricted list. Now, at the time, if I remember correctly, anything that was restricted in Type 1 was banned in 1.5. Can anybody else confirm? That's that's yes, correct. That's correct. Yeah, that and was my understanding. So uh, that did not change till uh, nowadays. Yeah. So back in that time, basically, if you wanted to play with power, you were playing in Type One, and basically, if you were playing in the unpowered format, you were basically playing One Point Five. And we're actually going to link the band list from One Point Five pre-change from One Point Five to Legacy to show you some of the ridiculous stuff that was banned at the time. So some of the notables that you may see back from back in the day that were just too powerful include Berserk. Brain Geyser. Uh, let's see. Enlightened Tutor. Okay. Factor Fiction. Um, Fork. Uh, Mind Over Matter. Uh, Mox Diamond. Um, regrowth. Let's see. Regrowth. No. Okay. Regrowth was. I yeah. remember Regrowth being banned because I was like, oh man, this is an amazing card. Oh, no, can't. Yeah, and Chestrail Regrowth and Chestrail Game Over. Yeah, and that actually highlights the problem that this setup had. Because you, you notice that Marius was surprised that Regrowth was actually banned and well, 1.5, which later became Legacy. And the thing is, because Wizards linked those ban lists, uh, but basically the ban to the restricted list, you had to cater to both formats. So if mm -hmm. a card was going to become too powerful in Type 1, I'm going to call it Vintage now, they had to restrict it, which automatically meant it was banned in Legacy even though it was not even remotely close to bannable in Legacy, like Regrowth, for example. So you ended up in this weird spot. And it also worked the other way, right? If the card was too powerful in Legacy, they had to ban it in Legacy, which led to it being restricted in Vintage for no apparent reason. And then until like 2004, in September 2004, they decided, okay, this is this is just getting too out of control. This is this arbitrary restriction we put up on ourselves. We're just going to free that up and we're going to split those ban lists. We're going to unban a bunch of stuff, including like a lot of the things that Matt mentioned, like Brain Geyser and everything. And that's basically the birthplace of Legacy as we know it today, at least in, uh, in, in theory. Yeah, what just came to my mind, uh, imagine how bad regrowth would have been in Deathrite times, just for example. <laughs> it's even a sorcery right yeah i mean all, a lot of these cards were actually not that great it's just like you said because the band lists were linked that was your main problem now you uh, to set the stage where people are kind of thinking like wait i don't see a lot of the cards we see today like workshop mana drain like mana drain control decks were a thing in 1.5 right people were i remember people finishing their mana drain playset so that they could play in 1.5 people were still playing mistress workshop as a four of at 1.5 like this was this was a very different format than what we're used to seeing today much more like definitely a hybrid uh, between what legacy and vintage would be even nowadays if you unrestricted mana drain and well maybe mana drain is not good enough obviously but um but um but like workshop and such so i think it was september 2004 yeah, that's when they split the ban list. Yeah, so basically I remember uh, them putting up the little um, the article basically saying, what do you want this to be named And the vote? So I don't know, did anybody else vote in that? No, I didn't vote in that. I only like recently discovered it and I laughed my ass off when I saw all the other such as, like, suggestions because I think we really got the best option there is 
which might be biased because like like survivor bias we, we like the one that's that actually made it but yeah matt you want to give us an idea of yeah, so, some of the them, other so we're going to go from the bottom to the top. So least percentage to the highest percentage that eventually won. So enduring. This is actually a fact that I really did not know. Uh, I played the format really uh, nearly since the beginning, but uh, this voting, I never heard of. That was 2004, Marius. I think you didn't even know how to start. A I'm pretty sure it was on the Wizards website. So what you did That's at from- the time is they were like, I think it was like, coming up on september i think it was a few months before they were like hey if you have you had some choices and you could click because they did have some polls on the wizards website previously so um so enduring was an option then mosaic timeless comprehensive ageless throwback heritage renaissance traditional and then finally, legacy. So the difference between traditional and legacy was actually less than two percent. So we're pretty glad that uh, no, sorry, just over two percent. So oh, I would I would have been fine with traditional too. I think I would have been fine with with that as well, Julian. Yeah, I think there's a couple of much worse options like throwback, compre- like hey guys, let's play a game of comprehensive. comprehensive. And from what I saw in the article, because the article is actually still online, they even had to manually throw out a couple of options. Um, one of the options they threw out was uh, hyper extended, <laughs> and the reason they provided was we want the format to be taken seriously. Hyper extended. It's terrible. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so good job on Wizards' side there. But I, I'm actually quite surprised that Legacy only barely edged out uh, traditional by like less than 260 votes. Yeah, so I mean, I'm really glad we got Legacy. And at that point, I remember on the cork board of our local shop called Mishra, Mishra's Games Workshop. Mishra's Game, yeah. Anyway, uh, this store has been long dead for, I would say, over 10 years. But um on the cork board, I remember the first time that we went to a legacy tournament. It was Friday night, and they had pinned up the new band list. And I remember just being totally unprepared, being like, "Oh no, what's going to happen?" And it was just a totally different. It was it was so interesting. It was just like it was just a really interesting time. Can you imagine what how special that must have been um, when you you literally walk to your shop and then you see the band list on a cork board? as opposed to knowing about it, like, weeks in advance, like we do now? Well, I remember, like, during that time, I mean, obviously a lot of people already had the internet in 2004, 2005, but it wasn't quite the same, right? I mean, I was still reading Inquest and Scry and, you know, all these magazines, right? So you're looking for the deck techs and, like, prices were, you know, in those magazines, right? Trading was so... Like, there were so many things that were so different. And, yeah, not having the same deck building um, reach like basically tuning deck lists online, that was not that was not a thing. I got my first survival deck list from a guy at the shop and we we worked on the list together, but it was tuned for the store, right? Knowing that the same <laughs> 20 guys that were coming out, I was playing a red green black survival advantage deck, you know, against uh, you know, there was a sneak attack show and tell deck at that time, but it played dark steel colossus, right? Like it was just this these weird these really weird decks that people would show up with their pet deck and it was just, yeah it was just a totally different time not even blight still dark steel colossus <laughs> yeah because take <laughs> what, what's it 10 damage <laughs> it's 10 damage i'm gonna show you <laughs> <laughs> and then people would play no he also played sarah avatar i remember that as well yeah that's cool See, but that's cool that's, that's cool. something i did in 1999 when i pro- like i still have mountains that have sarah avatar written on them i even have mountains that have uh, island written on them so i'm not proud of that 
Yeah, moving on to the list. So basically, how did this shake up? Well, we can, we're can. we also going to post the first legacy list here. Uh, but Julian, do you want to run into the first, uh, yeah. the first entry? Thank you, Matt. If you had asked me, what's the first card that has ever been banned in legacy? I would not have guessed a card. I would have been so sure it would have been a different card. And like you guys can see in the show notes right now, But if you're at home listening to this, or in your car or somewhere, or on your corona party or something, what's the first card that has ever been banned in the history of Legacy? Ding, 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 ding. Some of you might say Flash, and that's what I would have thought. But it's actually Imperial Seal. Which is a little bit awkward, because Imperial Seal has been banned in September of 2005, which is like, okay. Thing is, it only became legal in October of 2005. So you're like, what? (laughs) And the background to that is, um, in uh, March 2005, Wizards of the Coast decided, you know what, we want all these starter and portal sets to be legal in Legacy and Vintage. So in March 2005, they announced, guys, Portal, Portal 2000 uh, something, uh, and Portal 3 Kingdoms, I think it's five sets altogether, they will become legal and legacy and vintage in October, so uh, seven months later, because they wanted people to have the time to actually acquire the cards, because those cards were quite rare. I think, Marius, you played um, Ravages of War back then, and when I went to the shop and I I saw you playing Ravages uh, of War. funny... um Stacks build with two tabernacles, uh, Ravages of War, Armageddon, Split, 3-3, yeah. and sold this uh, complete stuff in, in these types uh, for quite a bunch of money, but not uh, even close for the money I would have uh, yeah. got nowadays. Yeah, the Ravages of War, when, when I saw you playing that, I thought, this guy means business. This guy is serious about that because Ravages of War was like a 150 euro card back then. The deck was cool, but not too strong. <laughs> a lot of our decks were. Uh, yeah, I remember that time because I think the rule was, and the reason why Portal was banned, is that you had to have a black-bordered printing uh, for something to be legal. Uh, and of course, a lot of things that had reappeared as white border cards were obviously originally printed as a black-bordered printing somewhere. So that was no problem for most cards, but all the, most of the Portal sets were... Well, the starter set was white-bordered. Three Kingdoms was white-bordered. So I think Second Age was allowed, because that was black-bordered. And regular Portal was allowed. I think all of them were not allowed, but I could be wrong, but I'm certainly sure about, like, Three Kingdom, because that's the one that actually had the good cards, right? Yeah, exactly. And the Yeah, riding the riding Dilo Horse, which is still a super awkward card, right? Because it doesn't give plus two, plus two counters. It's just, like... It gives the creature plus two, plus two, and you just like have to remember that. And I guess you could write it down, but technically it's not a counter. It's, not it's one of the most yet. awkward cards ever. So yeah, I was gonna say, um, Imperial Seal, it was banned before it became legal. And how is that? So when Wizards announced in March that those cards would become legal later on in the year, they literally said in their article, hey guys, if you have any ideas of cards we should maybe ban from those sets, hit us up. And a lot of people sent in their, their ideas, and they were like, okay, guys, um, you, you probably have to ban this Imperial Seal card. So in September, Wizards, before the, the, all these cards came into, into legality, Wizards was like, okay, Imperial Seal is banned. Like, <laughs> Imperial Seal is banned in Legacy, which kind of makes it the slowest and only emergency ban <laughs> in, in the history of Legacy. It's, it's an emergency ban six months in the making, and... <laughs> 
that's just an interesting tidbit that I thought we we should start out on because it also happens to be the very first ban in the history of Legacy. Uh, is the is this card still uh, that expensive as once was? It was uh, once. You know what? Or did they I think it's. Check. I think it's over. I think it's about a hundred dollars. Is it not? It's still worth some money. You know, I'm actually gonna check it out. Imperial Seal. So, oh, they reprinted it, right? So the reprint, the charge promo starts at like 240, and the original printing is like 200 and up. Okay. So, so it's still quite expensive, yeah. So it's more like 250, 300, something like that. So how do you feel about this guy, uh, this card, guys? Um, I could very much see it being banned at the time. Um, it's only a sorcery. It's not like Vampiric or, or a Mystical Tutor. But at the time, I, uh, given the power level of the format, I think it would have definitely made sense to ban that kind of card because you don't really want to want to have something like that legal back in 2005. I agree with you there. I mean, that card was pretty powerful at the time. Obviously, power creep has happened. Different cards are out. I just think at the time, yeah, that, that card didn't need to exist. Yeah, that might be correct too. Um, Marius, do you think this card could be legal now? Good question. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's so well. To be honest, I once saw a player in Munich play Imperial Seal and end of opponent turn he fetched the card away. <laughs> um, a very powerful mage. Yeah, I honestly think the card could be quite interesting at the moment because sacrificing uh, a card to get exactly the stuff you want is not bad. I estimate it much stronger than, uh, for example, Enlightened Tutor, but on the other hand, it's sorcery speed and against an enemy chase or much, predict. much stuff or even Predict, um, it, might be, it might be just crap. Well, against Predict, Enlightened Tutor is crap too, to, to be honest. But yeah. um, it would be an interesting thing to see uh, just one month or two month uh, legacy, legacy in the actual state with Imperial Seal. I think the biggest reason against uh, allowing it, and I'm sorry to say that because I, I wish it wasn't the case, but it's, it's the price tag we just talked about. I think if you unbanned this card in Legacy... Probably, yes. Probably, yeah. We, we're probably talking like more than $1,000 for our playset, and then if you only like try it out for two months and it turns out to be like super broken, then that's the money down the drain again. Kind of. Well, I mean, Grim Tutor is legal. Yeah, it has been legal, and like I think in the last five years, like three people have resolved it or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like Grim Tutor had its time in the spotlight, but lasted for a couple of months, and then kind of went away again. Uh, I don't know about that. Mana is just one too much. Yeah, and, and like in the nauseam deck, it's it's almost like a six mana as a six life thing to reveal to your nauseam. So yeah. But yeah, Imperial Seal, I'm happy it stays on the ban list. Uh, I don't really see it enabling anything we really want to happen in the format, especially not right now. And from there, moving on. Now we get to one of the mm, least controversial, highest impact bands the format has ever seen. If you played back then, you know what I... T I mean, both of you played back then. If you're on the podcast, you haven't played back then. This is... Flash. Whoa. The most dominating areas <laughs> of the game, yeah. So yeah, th that card um, is Flash, and Flash made a really big impact in the summer of 2007. So Matt, do you, do you want to tell us what Flash does? Yeah, so it's one in a blue, it's an instant, and so the current wording is, you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. If you do, sacrifice it unless you pay its mana cost reduced by up to two. So yeah, that enabled a pretty, pretty powerful combo. And the, the thing about that was uh, the card 
had errata, right? So for most of its existence, it didn't really do much. However, in I think it was like the great the great update where they changed all the errata to no longer be power level errata and have the card do as basically this thing that's that's written on the card as opposed to like changing it in a way to make more playable but also weaker. And when people found that out, they built the most broken deck in the history of Legacy, which is Flash Hug. Whereas previously, uh, Matt, I think you, you just wanted to mention the, the previous wording it had. Yeah, I think it's kind of the Mox Diamond Clause, right? It's like, if it would come into the, you know, if it would come into the battlefield, right? Yeah, yeah. if it would come to play, you, you pay, and if you don't, then it, it's basically a replacement effect. It goes to the, to the graveyard instead, mm-hmm. so it never actually touches the battlefield, which is the big thing. Because the way this deck worked, and okay, I guess <laughs> strap yourselves in because this is this is a little bit of a longer combo. We're going for a wild ride, folks. <laughs> Very much so. So you start out by casting Flash. That's pretty easy. And then you take the card Protean Hulk. If you don't know what Protean Hulk does... I'll read it out to you in my sultry voice. So it's five, green, green, six, six, beast. When Protean Hulk dies, search your library for any number of creature cards with total converted mana cost, six or less, and put them onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. Thank you very much, Matt. So you get that into play for the mere cost of two mana, and you get to kill it as well. So basically, you, you imagine the Hulk comes onto the battlefield, it plops immediately, and then from your, gra- from your library... You get Karmic Guide, which is uh, 2 2 for 5 mana, flying protection from Black Echo, doesn't matter. But Karmic Guide does. It enters the battlefield, it returns target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield. So Karmic Guide immediately returns the Protean Hulk again. And since Karmic Guide is only 5 mana, you still have like one more mana to get something. And with that, you're gonna snatch, um, you're gonna get Carrion Feeder. And Carrion Feeder allows you to sacrifice any creature at any point. So you go straight back into sacrificing Hulk. Hulk dies for the second time. We're so sorry, Hulk. And this time Hulk gets Kiki Chiki and any other card. Like you could get Safekeeper, Seven Safekeeper or something, but it's it's if you the opponent had um, a removal spell, you could have been disrupted earlier on anyway. So that's really not something that, that would do very much. But yeah, you get Kiki Chiki. Kiki Chiki has haste. It copies Karmic Guide. The copy of Karmic Guide for a third time gets back Protean Hulk, which dies again to the Carrion Feeder, poor Hulk. Like, in, in this combo, Protean Hulk gets sacrificed at least 21 times most of the time. And while doing so, you get copies of Karmic Guide. So eventually you have an infinite number of Karmic Guides, an infinitely large Carrion Feeder, but I guess that doesn't really matter anyway. And from there, you can attack your opponent, and <laughs> that's where the combo ends. Unless you have a combo piece in hand, like Karmic Guide or Kiki Chiki. So if you're looking at the deck list and you wonder why is there Body Snatcher on a deck list? Uh, Body Snatcher is uh, 2-2 for 4 mana. When Body Snatcher enters the battlefield, you may choose and discard a card from your hand or exile Body Snatcher. So this way you don't get, for example, Karmic Guide. You get Body Snatcher, which allows you to discard the Karmic Guide. And then you, you sacrifice the bodies. No, no, no. Then you sacrifice your Body Snatcher to the Carrion Feeder. Which in turn, that's the second ability of Body Snatcher, returns a creature from your graveyard to the battlefield, which in this case is Karmic Guide, which then gets back Protean Hulk. You see, this combo is very, <laughs> very intricate. And I'm not joking when I'm saying that it, it was not rare at the time for people to actually not fully understanding and being able to execute the combo because it was so common to just like scoop to the combo once you saw it. And yeah, has, has that been your experience as well, guys, that, that people sometimes were overwhelmed with uh, the combo? Yeah, I mean, usually people would just flash the Hulk 
and go get the karmic guide and then you're just like well yeah fuck this and you're done and usually you just scoop because you know at the time in terms of your actual hate you gotta remember 2007 was there surgical extraction no you had extirpate in 07 but not everyone was running extirpate and if you were on the draw eh. you had ley lines yeah so that's probably the number one way you you would fight that right but that was incredibly fast. It also had an alternate win conditions. Like if you if you wanted to go like a simple mode, you would just get four virulent sliver, which gives all of your slivers um, poisonous one, and they stack, so all slivers have poisonous four. And then you get hard sliver, which gives all of your slivers haste. So you attack with five slivers that have poisonous four, and you give your opponent twenty poison counters. Of course, that requires, well, I guess the other one requires attacking as well, but that requires playing a lot more questionable cards that were a little bit easier to disrupt because you didn't have infinite attackers. And yeah, that was, that was, I think it was pretty quickly decided that the Karmic Guide, Body Snatcher, Kiki Chiki, Carrier, and Feeder Protein combo was the way to go. Um, Matt, did you, did you enjoy playing during that era? Uh, I actually stopped playing a little bit during that era. <laughs> Um, so in our small play group, that was kind of a subgroup of the big play group. Nobody was playing flash. Uh, but my friend did have the deck put together and it was at least, I think I was playing survival still at that time. Uh, and it was just, and it was just miserable to play against. So I, I basically, we just, it, I don't want to use the term gentleman's agreement, but, uh, we definitely didn't play it against each other. And Myris, did you did you get to play a lot? I think you you had already played your first Legacy Cheat P by then, which I still uh, envy you for. I you get to play faced, in late 2005. I faced the deck two times in the Sabel School in Munich at local tournaments. And I think I lost both uh, matches quite uh, hard because I uh, normally always hesitate to play Leyland of the, of the Void. I don't like the card. And against this deck, it would have been quite good. But even in these times where the deck was legal, we all anticipated that it would get banned quite soon. And uh, for our luck, they did this. Yeah, I think it was the, the ban that really everybody saw coming, right? So in in May 2007, they had GP Columbus. But by the way, Columbus famous for... Um, basically being the, the last big event before a big legacy ban. Uh, we were going to hear about GP Columbus later on again. And that, that GP was won by Steve Saden playing the deck. And that deck is just utterly ridiculous because we just explained how the combo works. And you would think, okay, it's a two-mana so, uh, two instant, so at least I'm maybe going to get two turns. No, you might not even get to your first main phase. You might you might go first and you might still die, still die in your first upkeep before you even get to play your first land on the play. Because this deck, like, pe people tried different versions. People tried something like um, Elf Spirit Guide to give you extra mana. Or, I think, Gemstone Cavern or something you, people yep, could use. Exactly. But overall, the, the most consistent version was just, like, a blue-based version with cantrips and permission. So it didn't really need to kill you on, on your first upkeep. But it, it, there was the possibility, right? And some people certainly experienced that. And from that GP, there's actually a, a little anecdote that I found on the Wizards website. Uh, you know how people sometimes tell these stories about, for example, Mike Long, who hit, I don't know, his the card. He, he was sitting on a card or, or he was yeah. like trying to kill the other guy while not having the win condition anymore. And some of those are more like, like, I don't know, fantasy stories that people tell because they sound good. But apparently this one it really happens. So 
Owen Turtlewald, back then, 18 years old, dedicated Legacy Grinder, played against Steve Satan on day one. Steve Satan had never played the deck before, didn't prepare for the event, but he heard that it was like super broken, so he played in the cheapie. And Owen actually almost playing Goblins, and he asked him to execute the combo. And Steve got it wrong. He was like, okay, so well, here's the Hulk, and I guess there's Karmic Guide, and it, it gets Hulk back, and Kikichiki, and something about Carrion Feeder. And he messed it up, because the, the interesting part, like the one part that people might actually get wrong is, when you activate Kikichiki to target your Karmic Guide, you have to sacrifice your Kikichiki in response to the Carrion Feeder. Because you need the Karmic Guide to immediately target the Kikichiki in the graveyard again. Otherwise, if you let it resolve, Karmic Guide doesn't see a Kikichiki in the graveyard. And once you basically, yeah, you get the idea, right? You fizzle, and yeah. It's, yeah. And it, it, it wouldn't even fizzle. It would need to target something else. So it would need to probably like target Protein Hulk again, which wouldn't do anything, basically. So Steve got that wrong. Steve totally messed it up and ended up sacrificing his, I think, Kiki Chicky too early, or no, he sacrificed this Karmic Guide or something, and then ended up with like this this super weird situation where he literally just had to beat down with a Protein Hulk and and a creature. And I don't know whether he won that game, but both of them once again then met in the finals, and that was that. That was the GP where Flash was legal, and yet people still registered Goblins, and there were also like two mono black aggro decks in the in the top eight. Ooh, nice one. Yeah, like Order of the Even Hands and, and that kind of stuff. Carnophage. It's kind of kind of wild what people played back then, but they made it work, right? They still made it to the top eight. And I guess if you play like 12 discard spells, then there's a way to, to beat the flash deck. If you are allowed to play a spell, yes. <laughs> if you ever get to that. And that actually, that's another part of why the card really had to be banned. Because shortly after the GP, like basically, I think the cards from Futureside might have almost been legal for the GP, but only became legal that weekend. And because the GP technically starts on Friday or something, they they were not legal for the GP. Like I went back to the GP page and it literally mentions because of rule, blah, 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 the Futureside cards are not going to be legal. And that's such a big deal because Futureside would not only have given the deck Pact of Negation to protect itself, which is like basically a free force of fill at that point, it also would have given it... Summoner's Pact. And Summoner's Pact is especially devastating because Summoner's Pact can be Acceleration. You can build it to, to find Simeon's Spir- uh, Spirit Guide. Or it can find another copy of the Hulk because that's the one thing the deck needed to do. It need- still needed to assemble Flash and Protean Hulk. And if you couldn't find both, you were kind of much, pretty much screwed. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad we never actually got to live in that timeline where you had to experience that. Yeah, that would have been extremely miserable. <laughs> in speaking of miserable Matt you, you want to introduce our next card I, Ooh, I'm sure you know the writing by heart Charizard. so let's let's roll the clock forward a little bit to September 2007 when the card Charizard was banned so the wording on the card is players must leave the game in progress as it is and use the cards left in their libraries as decks with which to play a sub game of magic when the sub game is over players shuffle these cards return them to the libraries and resume the current game in progress with any loser of the sub game having his or her remaining life points rounding down effects that prevent damage may not be used to counter this loss of life the sub game has no ante and using less than 40 cards may be necessary is that the is that the is that the architects right now no, that was the original. That text. sounded pretty weird. I was gonna say, yeah, because the way I remember it, it it, it halved your life total. It, do, it doesn't round it down. Either way, it's a white white sorcery. So I remember back in the day, 
that I had actually built a Sharazad deck. And all it was oh, was like icy manipulators and forks and Mazeviths and Sharazads and just the whole point was just and it, I think it played Soldier of Fortune. Like it was just all it did was designed to just create subgame after subgame after subgame to like tie people up and then it was a terrible, terrible deck. But anyway, it was banned specifically it was banned specifically for people like me. For time wasting abuse scenarios. So I don't know yeah, if you actually the, had this card played against you, Julian, but... Well, but the way I understand you, you, you were actually just time-wasting for the sake of time-wasting because you found it funny. Yes. <laughs> Is Correct. that what you did? Yes. Okay, so in the in the Wizards article, because I actually, I went back and read all the, the banned articles when they, when they provided the reasons, they specifically mentioned that people also abused it in tournament settings. So they went up 1-0, and then they just tried to create an infinite stream of sub-games, so they would just win the main game 1-0. Or even if they were like looking to maybe lose the first game with not enough time to to finish other games, they would just try to stall it into like an overall draw by playing sub game after sub game after sub game, and you can only have your life total halved so many times, right? So you eventually you'll have to play the sub games. So that card is pretty miserable. Marius, did you ever play that in, in Landstill or something for any reason? No. <laughs> <laughs> just just no. Ah, uh, the card. I I I uh, have to admit, I did not even face the card in any tournament. No one did ever play this uh, against me, uh, despite in the Sabre School or in the Fontainment, really many uh, players played fun decks. Like when the Tron movie came out, they they all played a Legacy oh, yeah. Tron and and stuff like that. But no one ever played Charizard against me. Uh, because because people still have like respect and dignity, unlike Matt. <laughs> it was a sad time in my life. I couldn't do anything else. Oh, I, I would have never thought so. <laughs> Something I found interesting. Um, I mean, we all agree this card is banned for a reason, and it doesn't really add anything to to Magic or Legacy in general. This card triggered a rules change, or rather, a rules clarification, because this was the time I think when uh, the the suspend mechanic was was introduced. And people were successfully arguing um, with judges that any card suspended in sub-games would still remain suspended in the main game because for whatever reason, like the when a sub-game ended, you would shuffle up all your cards, put them back into your main library, except for exile cards because they were like in the exile or well, removed from game, we called it back then. And the wording apparently on, on that specific rule wasn't super clear and people were successfully arguing that their suspender cards from a sub-game would still remain suspended in the main game. So in a way, Sharazad, if your deck played a ton of suspend cards, was actually a card, <laughs> contrary to what you think it would do, would actually give you a ton of card advantage. So you go to the sub-game, you suspend like, I don't know, three cards, then you concede the sub-game, but but suddenly you have this like Aeon Chronicler and, and all that kind of stuff coming on the, on the main game. And Wizards was like, yeah, this this is so far from what we want the card to work. We're not only banning it, we're also changing the rules to, to make clear that nobody can ever do that, even in, in casual games. Have you ever heard about that? Like, I, I didn't even know that the suspend thing was, was no, apparently I like didn't, a problem. I didn't know that. I wonder if somebody like ever did that against a Wizards employee at, at a local tournament. They were like, that's it, I'm changing the rules. That's basically your version of um, of my dad works at Nintendo and and they're going to change the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So moving on, September 2008, we have another, well, the card is a high-profile card, but it wasn't really a high-profile band at the time, and that is Time Vault. 
And if I was to ask you what the current writing on Time Vault is, uh, it's probably the card that had the most errata and, and basic writings in the history of the game. There's an, uh, an entire MTG Goldfish article, by the way, which was super helpful that documents all the changes that have been made to Time Vault over the years. And the reason this card was eventually banned was... <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is quite complicated. So Time Vault eventually received the current errata that we have in September 2008, which makes it a combo with Vortaiki, which obviously is like a major reason to ban it in Legacy because that, that's vintage stuff we are talking about. Yeah, it's still uh, legal in vintage and most control deck will play it, of course. Yeah. In Legacy, it actually also war provided an infinite combo with Flame Fusillate, which is a sorcery, it's for mana, and it makes it so that until end of turn, all your permanents can ping in the sense that they can deal one damage. So since Time Vault at the time allowed for infinite untapping by just skipping your next turns, you, you basically had a Tim, you had a, a Prodigial Sorcerer that you could untap for free all the time and kill your opponent that way. It's, it's quite a clunky combo, and I don't really think it actually ever made any big splash in Legacy. Like, it was Not a thing from... Yeah. Uh, it was a thing from October 2005 till March 2006 when they once again changed, uh, <laughs> changed the rulings and the, the errata on Time Vault to so an entirely different thing. The, sorry for interrupting. Theoretically, if the opponent had uh, uh, removal... Ah, no. You, time you, can un you can untap in response. You can untap in response. Yeah, they would need to remove the time vault in response to you casting Flame Fusillate, in which case you would have wasted your Flame ah, okay. Fusillate. No, no I, I just thought they could remove it after gaining six extra turns or stuff like that, but that does not work, of course. Yeah, that, that wouldn't work, but Except uh, like I mentioned, grip. it was quite the clunky combo. Frozen Grip works. Frozen Grip works against a ton of stuff. <laughs> I guess we're actually <laughs> maybe going to talk about that later on. There's, there's an interesting Frozen Grip story that you have to tell as well. So yeah, that's that's time board. Wizards really tried to make this somehow work, and I very if you want to look in the history of time board, that's an entire article all by itself. I'm gonna link it in the show notes. And eventually, Wizards just called it quits. They were like, okay, guys, this is just like too much. Let's let's not look into this. They even questioned Richard Garfield because they wanted to restore the original function functionality of the card. And Aaron Forsythe mentioned that they asked Richard Garfield, and Richard Garfield didn't even remember the way he intended the card to work. So they were like, okay, if Rich, Rich doesn't know, then we are gonna like word the card in the way we think it's gonna work. And that's that's pretty much it. And my favorite quote regarding that is comes actually comes from Mark Gottlieb, one of the legendary rules managers of Magic. He said, For the sake of our sanity, we generally ignore the very existence of Time Vault. Good idea. <laughs> That's probably a really good idea, yeah? And they, they put that into law by just banning the card in Legacy because it just created too many weird scenarios. The next card, the Summer of 2010. Uh, oh. One of the most... Uh, I, I can't even say controversial, but one of the most high-impact cards in the history of Magic that certainly changed gameplay in Magic quite a bit, in Legacy quite a bit. Uh, Matt, which card am I talking about? You're talking about a good old mystical tutor, so... Uh, at this time, the SCG circuit was happening, Legacy was in a really great place, but it was a pretty darn controversial, um, there was a lot of talk about this, I remember, because we used to go down to the States a lot to play tournaments, and basically Mystical Tutor grabs an incident or a sorcery, so it's it's like all the other series of tutors, and it grabs an incident or a sorcery, puts it on top of your library. 
And obviously, this card is extremely powerful because you can grab Entomb, Reanimation, Protection, for whatever combo deck you're running. Uh, and I guess this all kind of started because in September of September 2009, it became Entomb became unbanned. So again, carrying on from the from the 1.5 list, turning into Legacy, Entomb has been basically banned this entire time. And only in September 2009 did Entomb become unbanned. And of course, Reanimator becomes a deck. Um, without that, it wasn't really that much. What do you guys remember from this time? Yeah, I Maris? remember this. I, I was in in Madrid too uh, for this Grand Prix. Yeah, GP Madrid 2010, uh, February. And Andreas Müller wins the tournament with Blue Black Reanimator. And I think there were also like two Storm decks, two A&T Storm decks in the top eight. And the deck performed incredibly well. Like mentioned, uh, like Matt mentioned, uh, it could get the end tomb, it could get reanimation, it could answer problematic permanent, or it could even like find you protection for your combo. So it was incredibly versatile. It also used to be part of previous successful combo decks like Flash. Most Flash decks played it like as a four off. Sometimes I saw it as a two off because people would rather play Limb Duel Swalt. Like what the fuck? <laughs> but okay. And I mean, there's there's reasons to do that. But overall, I think Flash was just a much uh, Mystical Tutor was the much better card. And yeah, and as soon as we got Entomb, the deck really hit critical mass and was uh, yeah without a, I, no without any doubt probably the best format deck in the format. And all of this culminated in its banning couple months later in June. And this was backed up by one of the most historic announcements in the history of Legacy and also one of the most controversial announcements in the history of Legacy. That was put up by Tom LaPyle. And I'm actually going to read it entire in its entirety because it's such an historic piece of history. And that's the so-called gentleman's agreement that Tom LaPyle put forward. So I'm going to read this from his explanation for why the card was banned. When we saw Grand Prix Madrid finals decks, a few of us got worried, jumped onto Magic Online, and started playing some Legacy with them. We were terrified by what we found. Our research took another turn, however, when we investigated how Legacy is played in the real world. We discovered something rather interesting, and that's that Mystical Tutor decks were quite rare at Legacy tournaments. They did not have tons of money on the line. At Grand Prix and other cash tournaments, people were happy to bust out the Mystical Tutors. However, in the comfort of their own home stores, they seem to prefer doing other things that were much more fun, if perhaps less powerful. This struck me as being a sort of gentleman's agreement. Everybody knew what sick decks were out there, but they chose not to play them. After sideboarding, the games were all about hate cards, which struck us as a little bit unhealthy. By the way, that's some insight into what Wizards was thinking about Legacy back then, right? After sideboarding games are all about hate cards, we, we, uh, that struck us a little bit unhealthy. That was quite interesting because I think these days it's much more about sideboard cards than it, is, than it was oh, back sure. then. Yeah. So to continue this, this um, gentleman's agreement. The fascinating thing about the aforementioned agreement is that it seems that the people who were part of the gentleman's agreement were having more fun than the people who weren't. Whether or not they were aware that there was anything special going on, they were experiencing a better variety of decks and a higher qu quantity of recognizable baseline magic gameplay, even though they were still playing with the, nearly every magic card that has been printed. We saw the world that they made, and we liked it. We liked it so much more than the competitive world that had mystical tutor decks that we decided to give that happier world to everyone. And that's the nice. gentleman's agreement <laughs> theory. And <laughs> Such horseshit. 
This was the reasoning <laughs> for, for banning? For banning Mystical Tutor. They basically said that the legacy community had already soft banned Mystical Tutor outside of big cash tournaments because it was so miserable to play with that people would like rather miss out on, on winning their FNM than to... Well, I guess you didn't play Legacy FNM, but uh, you, get my, you they get my idea. I did not remember this gentleman agreement ban in Sensei's Divining Top Times. <laughs> we, we'll come to that, I guess. Um, so, yeah, this is... this is. If, if you haven't heard about this, this is really one of the most historic pieces of, of banning reasoning, because it was, to this day, when people talk about the gentleman's agreement, that it goes back to this idea that Tom LaPile put forward that some cards are so miserable to play with that people will just not play them even though they should. So you can't always look at tournament results to determine whether a card should be banned. You shouldn't look at the data. We should just how we feel. That's how we'll make decisions. <sighs> that's basically the idea of it. That's uh, basically outlined in his last paragraph, right? Where he, where he speaks about this mystical world where, where everybody's having fun and casting Rocks Warmonk, which I guess, what, was that printed? Yeah, that was printed by then. <laughs> um, I do agree that the card needed to be banned, but boy, the way he, he phrased his explanation made them quite open to attacks. Yeah, I mean, I think the card was powerful and I didn't like playing against that deck either, but... I believe this reasoning was pretty crap. It's easily, it, you could easily just say like this card is extremely powerful and allows for very powerful strategies and will only get more powerful over time. And let's just ban this thing. And I would have been fine with that. But to say that there was an agreement that people were or weren't playing it. I mean, I'm sure that exists with many cards. Um, as I'm sure we will talk about later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think we are in just a way more uh, competitive world in these days than we were in 2010. And uh, I'm quite sure uh, no one would um, make a ban with this reasoning. Yeah, I definitely agree that people are, are more competitive, even though like back then it was much easier to switch decks because they were so much cheaper. But I feel oh, like yes. most of the people who have basically survived from that area are the ones that that were quite competitive at least when i when i look at our like local meta like the people except for like one or two people who who are more like playing magic for purely fun which definitely isn't a bad thing um yeah they they the other ones kind of faded away and i think those people actually just did not play uh, mystical tutor because they didn't want to play a deck like that and i think there's some truth to to what tom saw i just thought Especially in the case of Mystical Tutor, which was so insanely powerful, you could have really wrapped that in a different way and and won people over. Alrighty, so moving on to December 2010. Survival of the Fittest gets banned, and it was probably the worst thing to happen to me in the entirety of Magic. So, of my Magic playing career. So, many of you recall that Survival had been around for a long time. I had been personally playing it for probably six seven years at this time and it was definitely one of the pillars of the format even if it wasn't that great so there was angry trade wind survival there was red green black survival advantage there was full english breakfast there was junk survival with academy rector cabal therapies etc i mean this deck has been around for a long time and it had been around been around since 1.5 and it wasn't super powerful but it was good it was good well i, I was gonna say like like survival advantage and angry trade wind survival those are like mainstays right 
they were mainstays, but I wouldn't say the they were most, like. Sorry, the most competitive survival deck and the reason for uh, this card getting banned uh, was this uh, loyal retainers combo. Loyal oh no no no! I don't think that's true. Like we no? we can argue about that, but I think that that's that's not true. No. I do agree that before Vengevine was printed, that Barn Survival, which had loyal retainers, was the was most powerful good. deck. It was also the most powerful deck without uh, of all the, the the survival variants. The Barn Survival deck with loyal retainers was the best deck without survival, which I think is a big thing when you build survival. Um, well, I was going to say these days, <laughs> at least right before it was banned. But then in April 2010, something else happened, Matt. Yeah, so the, the, the Vengevine got printed. So as you may remember, if enough creatures go into the graveyard and it's in the graveyard, all of a sudden it's come, it comes back and it's a 4-3 haste. The whole plan is you use Basking Rootwalla and other creatures, you dump them all in the graveyard, you bring them all back, you attack for a bunch. Um, however, there's a bunch of different versions. There were the all-in Vengevines versions, there were the more mid-range versions that played a lot like... I would say traditional Maverick kind of nowadays um, with like uh, neither reliquaries and such. Um, some had lightning tutors to find the combo. Um, I'll let uh, I'll let Marius or Julian kind of explain the other combo variants of this if you want to talk about those. Yeah, there, there was a second variant that that was quite influential, and that was the Necrotic Ooze Phyrexian Devourer Triskelion combo. And boy, that's another one of those combos you probably have to read up on uh, on your own before you go to, to a tournament playing them. So basically the idea was you get Phyrexian Devourer and Triskelion into your graveyard uh, with using survival, and then you cast Necrotic Ooze, a four-mana creature, which has all ah, the activated this is abilities the stuff who gets of both abilities, right? Or yeah, it has all the activated abilities oh. of cards in your graveyard. And what what it does is um Phyrexian Devourer is a super obscure card that allows you to exile the top card of your library, and then it gets a number of plus one plus one counters. And if its power ever becomes bigger than seven, you have to sacrifice it. But Necrotic Ooze doesn't care about that, right? So you just go ahead, you remove the top card of your library to give it a bunch of plus one, plus one counters, and then use Triskelion's ability, which it also gained, to remove a plus one, plus one counter and deal one damage to anything. So this this was a version that didn't that heavily rely on all the setup spells, like, you know, the, the Basking Rootwaters and that kind of stuff. So th- you could just, like, jam this into any kind of version of survival and also have an instant speed kill combo, I think, actually... Was it Cherry Thompson who played this? I think he, he at least popularized it. I think he wrote an article about it mm-hmm. even. And yeah, that, that's the second version, right? So the first one you mentioned, the Vengevine version, sometimes even like super all-in playing Lion's Eye Diamond to activate Survival three times and discard your Basking Rootwallers in the process that, that that existed. And then that Necrotic Ooze combo. And it existed for half a year in the in the meantime, uh, or, or almost like a year. Yeah, but, yeah, let's say half a year. It came out in April, so... So eight months, seven months, eight months. Yeah, eight months. I'm I'm very bad at math. Uh, Caleb actually, Caleb Dobald won a GP. Uh, placed second in a GP. GP Columbus once again. Columbus very influential city for Legacy. Playing blue green survival, which played uh, Narcomoba and White Mongrel and that kind of stuff. Lost in the finals to Saito on Merfolk, I believe. And that version version was much more mid rangey, right? It also had uh, I think two Omisawa's Chitta and that kind of stuff. So like, oh, that's great. <laughs> that, that's great that's the kind of card you like yeah of course and I, uh, I'm, I totally agree with Matt because I think Matt did uh, play Survival of the Fittest really as a value card or a grind card and not, not this um, 
instant kill combos and uh, this is the card I always uh, recognized survival of the fittest to be if you know in Munich there was this uh, Wurst survival yeah I remember yeah. it Junk yeah. survival yeah Wurst survival and it was such a nice such a nice grindy deck uh, with many many cool creatures I even think a walk uh, um, uh, Siege Rhino was in there when they uh, printed it uh, but it was a grind deck and uh, not an uh, all-in combo deck. And of, but, but of course, at competitive tournaments, if your combo deck is the much more brutal uh, and much more successful choice, you will always play the, um, the combo deck. But I think it's a pity that they took Survival of the Fittest out, um, even if they had to cause of these uh, combo decks. It was a damn shame because I think there was a lot of design space with Survival of Fittest. Like, and I and I agree with Marius. I was definitely playing it as a grindy mid-range deck, like playing kind of like a rock deck. And um, during that time, I was still playing a little bit of Red Green Black Survival Advantage or uh, Vouch Survival, and it was it was great. Except you know the Vengevine the Vegvine Menace or the Necrotic Ooze Menace was becoming a problem. Now, at that time, to counter this deck, I mean, there were still a lot of cards available. Like, Extirpate was still a hell of a card, um, and a lot of people didn't... This was one of the first times where I feel like people complained so much about this deck, and nobody was actually, at least in my metagame, was actually trying to do anything to fight it. So I was actually playing, at that time as well, Bug Landstill. So I was playing uh, Pernicious Deeds and uh, Extirpates and Tormod's Crypts in the sideboard. So I, I ran a full set of Extirpate in the board, and uh, I my win rate against the Vengevine version was pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. Yeah, I guess Extirpate is one of those cards that actually helps you out uh, more than Leyline, because the one thing about Survival, I have to admit, as much as I love the card, it's also a card that lets you find answers. Which mm -hmm. is always problematic when your combo enabler is also able to find answers, like Mystical Tutor, right? So I think we are looking at an entirely different power level and philosophy about what legacy is supposed to be. And maybe like right around that time, it slowly started to change when it stopped being like all about creature combat and, and then having like something extra. Because if we look at all of this now, I think. And that's basically the main argument for for unbending survival, right? It's it's not nearly as broken in the grand context of legacy as it as it was back then. Like people were even arguing back then whether it was really as broken as people were making it out to be. And I read the article, and Wizards basically the provided a very direct thing that we just have to accept, and that was like they tracked the win rate, and the win rate was too high. And if that's the case, then there's nothing you can really say about that. I think these days. I don't think it would be too broken from from what we see, but it's also the question whether we would really want to have it back in the first place, considering that, once again, we were talking about a playset for, I think, way over a thousand by now. And if you unbend it, we're probably looking at a playset of more like 2,000. And that's just too much, right? It's, as much as I want survival back, I played it in the Legacy Unchained League, and I think I... I proved my point that the mid-range version of survival is the best version. The people played um, aggressive all-in versions, the, but they slowly faded out because they realized, okay, the win rate is atrocious. But yeah, green right, green white mid-range version of survival is probably where it would be right now. Uh, or I guess these days we would play something like four color, but you still need a lot of green to activate it. So I, I don't want to turn this into like my rant about oh my god, I want survival back. Um, but I because think we do. 
We do, yeah. <laughs> we do, yes. There's, there's a big piece missing in my heart and uh, it's survival shaped. It has like two goblins murdering each other and I, I want that back. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that I would want to own, there's three things I want to own. It's, it's my favorite piece of artwork. So I'd love to own the original art, but I know who has it and he won't give it up. I would love is to Is it public own knowledge f- who has it? Uh, I'm not sure if it is, so I'm not going to say their name. Uh, but I've said if he ever wants to sell it, that I would buy it. Number okay, two. if you ever make up your mind, Marius, Matt is down to buy it. <laughs> uh, number two is I would love to own a foil survival. Uh, not a, <laughs> like, like a test foil survival. You mean but, the test prints? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't they I like 10, 20,000? They, they, they are all in Germany. Also, are I they? know the guy who has, who has a playset of uh, foil survivals. You mean I think Jens? it's the same person. I think we're thinking of the same person, Marius, because I'm pretty sure that person also yeah, owns... I mean, so, he's a vendor, right? So we, we might as well mention him uh, because he always uh, displays them at, at a store. It's Mark Lanigra. Oh, it's Mark it Lanigra? Sorry, I didn't. Oh, no, no, no. Jens had, had the place at uh, City of Traders, right? The test prints of City of Traders. Yes. He wanted like 75k for it. But they, uh, they belong not to Jens, but to... Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, also, he's uh, selling them for somebody else, you're saying? Yeah, 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 correctly. This ah, okay, uh, next okay. guy, a uh, friend of Richard, I don't know. Italian guy? No, no, German. German stacks player? You're uh, the most German stacks player. Foil, uh, mas- master, one of the most pimped uh, stacks. Master Yoda? No, not Master Yoda. <laughs> 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 I guess we're, we're not going to find out. And I guess if, if he's that hard I'll to remember, maybe he doesn't I, want to. If I know him. Yeah, if I maybe he doesn't want to be publicly known if it's that hard to remember his name. <laughs> So yeah, Survival, please come back to me. I enjoyed you so, so much. It was actually the first deck I ever found success with. I played a lot of Enchantress for many years. And when I finally realized that Gaia's touch is not where I want to be, I, I copied uh, the Worst Survival, the Chunk Survival deck. And that was the very first time I really started doing well. I, I don't know, Marius, if you remember that when we played in a tournament. Um, we were both 4-0. and oh, And then I won the first game against you. You played Dreadstill. And after mm-hmm. I won the first game, I offered the draw because I was so scared of you because you were like the best player in Munich. And then, then you accepted the draw and I think Ritzka was sitting next to us and he, he just looked at me and he said, pathetic. And I guess it kind of was, but I was, I was just so happy that, that I would be like at the, oh, at the first I was table. Happy. <laughs> because <laughs> I, guess I, so. I, I respected you in these uh, days already more than you knew yourself. Uh, that's true. That's true. I remember when we played in that GP trial, and we played in the very first round and you sat down and, and you said something along the line of, oh, this really wasn't necessary. And I totally didn't get it until I realized, oh, you meant like playing against a good player in the first round. And I was like, yeah, whoa, great. this guy thinks I'm good. So, oh, maybe I'm good. So that was, I, I will never forget that. <laughs> but yeah, I actually still have this deck built up. Um, the red, green, black survival advantage. I still have it built. Um, it's totally like Korean beta, you know, all done uh, and it sits in a box and every so often I pull it out and I look through and brings back all the memories and then I <laughs> put it back together I put it back in the box and I put it back in the cupboard it's the same for my for my four uh, altered Phyrexian dreadnoughts they still are uh, sleeved up uh, I put them out have a look at them and put them back oh they're beautiful there's also like they, they, those cards are really legendary your dreadnoughts at least in Europe are very well known yeah, anyway, it's, um, it's crazy how this was 10 years ago, but anyway. Um, played, uh, 
um, any longer in push, decay, etc. times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it already started fading away when you got Quasali Prime Mages and Crows and Grips and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, correct. I want you to say everything about Mental Misstep. Me? You. I have uh, very good reminds of, of Mental Misstep because when it was legal, everyone played it and I did not play it and uh, won, I guess, the tournament where I got the best pro uh, payout uh, what I won since I played Magic. That was September 2011 when Mental Mister was banned, so you were, you were playing earlier in 2011 and you won the Legacy the German Legacy Championships and you, you got I a ton Hillary, of money for that. Uh, without Mental Misstep and I won the tournament. But uh, Mental Misstep is a card, so for the ones who do not know it, it's uh, in, uh, instant for one blue or... Ah, one, one Phyrexian mana, you can play one blue or pay two life. And you can counter a casting cost one spell. Every deck who wants to play uh, this counter can do it without uh, adding blue to the deck. I think, and even today, I think Mental Mister was a fair card. It was a fair magic card because everyone who wanted to play it could do so. And it became yeah. Uh, so when the, when the, when the first turns of the game had passed, it became uh, much worse. Yeah. So so maybe we start with um, why it was printed in the first place, and I think that's super interesting because Wizard said in their article about the banning of it, they created it in May 2011 to specifically help non-blue decks in Legacy to fight combo. And I think that might have been one of the first times ever they specifically released a card in a in a how would you say that in, a, in an actual big set, like not a supplementary set, to to add something to Legacy. And they were like, okay, this turned out really poorly. So to quote from from the article where they banned it, unfortunately, it turned out poorly. Looking at high level tournaments, instead of results having blue and non blue decks playing Mental Misstep. There are more blue decks than ever. So this incentivized a ton of people to play blue decks. And I think the reason doesn't really have to do anything with Mental Mister being blue. Like, yeah, you can save two life by paying for it. But from what I remember, and Marius and Matt correct me on that, uh, I just put this in the show notes. I think the top decks during the Mental Mister area, during its reign of like almost half a month, yeah, only a couple of months, were Buck Landstill. Natural Order Rock, Hive Mind, and some like super late game oriented versions of Stoneblade, but primarily like Buck Landstill, Natural you Order Rock, and Maverick. Hive Mind. I don't think Maverick was that big. In a time without Terminus, I would clearly put Maverick in the uh, top tier decks of these times. Yeah, the thing is, I'm, I'm not so much talking about like what was good, but what was played the most, and usually oh. they overlap. 
that's what I'm saying. Like, he, I, I think Maverick probably was much better than people were giving it credit for. I think back then, like, the big discussion Maverick was whether you play Mother of Runes or Mental Misstep, because both kind of protect your creatures from Swords to Plowshares. True. And I think you, you opted to play with the Mothers. Uh, but overall, people really played Buck Lancel, and I think the biggest draw to Buck Lancel was that PV, Paulo Vito, Damodar Rosa, and, and um, the rest of Channel Fireball, they played Buck Lancel in, in a GP and did really well with it. I think PV top aided mm-hmm. with it. And that deck played four Pernicious Deed, and that, that card is just incredibly hard to beat, and also played four Standstills, and sometimes if you were even greedier, you would also play for ancestor visions or other visions instead of stance. So remember, so remember during this time. So there was a time leading up to this because I remember this time very specifically because I found I found out that I was going to be attending GP Providence in May 2011, and I started training for this uh, in January. So we started testing regularly, like two or three times a week. You know, we started uh, play testing against these decks, and then eventually. So I remember even at the time I was playing Dead Guy Ale, I think, and then I switched to actually playing Junk, uh, really competitively, and then Mental Misstep came out and changed the game. But of course, at the time, um, I had already been on my list that I was going to be on that I've been testing for the past you know four or five months. So I said, you know what, we're just going to go with it. But it was a, it was a crazy time for Misstep. I mean, the flavor text on Mintep on misstep should actually be i misstep your misstep yeah correct because that's how crazy it was yeah i think that's that's something amarius was alluding to right you you trade your off your missteps in the early game and i think to me at least that's a bit of a downside because of the factually made it so that people started with fewer cards in their opening hands so you you kept your opening hand you played your one drop you exchanged your missteps and then yeah, the game of went course on. uh and these that, top decks I don't know. you uh, mentioned here all play Brainstorm. So uh, Mental Misstep is naturally better in blue decks where you can shuffle them away uh, in the mid or late game when there is no n- no more need to count to hard count a casting cost one spell. Yeah, you would also sometimes like side them out, right? But what I'm what I want to say here is, and I think that's the biggest thing about Mental Misstep, and that's that it slowed the game down by basically a turn. Like, the matches were much more late-game oriented, and I think that's the the big, I almost want to say, upside of Misstep. Like, that's why we are still talking about Misstep, not as this big villain, like Flash or, or Mystical Tutor that, that hurt us, that violated us, and now we are happy it's gone. I think the legacy community these days is pretty, pretty split on Mental Misstep, because people look back and they see the good stuff, and that was like the games are quite interactive, like much more than they are now, I would say. And the games went long, and you 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 built your deck with um, your strategy in mind, much more than like short-term gains. And that was kind of cool. Like the Buck Lancel deck that PV played, and also the Natural Order Ruck deck. Oh my god, that was one of my mm-hmm. favorite decks ever. Like those decks were amazing to play, and I wouldn't want to miss them. But on the other hand... <sighs> I mean, it, it, it had. It made things a it bit was awkward. Even, I remember the at the misstep times, it was even the question in these uh, early or mid range decks ah, do I want to play a mental misstep or do I want to play days or do I want to play a mix of it? Ah, I really don't know. Because in uh, these natural order rug decks or even natural order bunt decks, uh, which uh, coexisted, I uh, quite often saw deck lists who played mm, two missteps, three days, or four two, or three three, just uh, like the people wanted. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm actually looking at the decklist, at the GP decklist from um, uh, Providence that Matt mentioned. And for example, the winner, James Shrinkowitz, played, I guess we would call it Buck Midrange. I think at the time we called it NoFo, which is probably the most confusing name in the history of Legacy. Because what it meant to say is that it's a blue deck that doesn't play Forcefell. But at the same time, we had no Ruck, which were the no's that stood for natural order. But in this deck, it stood for literally no <laughs> as a none. And yeah, he he played blue mid-range, bond mid-range with three dazes, three mental missteps. Uh, Reed Duke made top eight with natural order. He played three missteps, three dazes. Uh, oh, our friend of the cast, Wilson Hunter, made top eight with painter. That was his, his breakout performance, I guess. Uh, yeah, so people played it because they, I guess, almost felt priced into playing it because you it gave you another way to gain tempo without spending... Yeah, to, to gain basically to gain tempo while still developing your board, which is why we say it slowed down the game quite a bit. So if if there was like an aggressive strategy, you could almost like time walk them for for two life. You need to remember, like this was also the time when Batter Skull got printed. So again, preparing for this tournament, the data leading right up to this tournament was that uh, blue white uh, blade of some variety was a really good deck because you could play you know turn one whatever turn to stoneforge mystic and the most common play at that time was end of turn plow your stoneforge and then they would go misstep so it became it became a very difficult time for non-blue decks where you're like oh man if they're gonna you know misstep yeah but they plows and i need to misstep them uh, themselves so that's what i was just saying yeah and then they would have to play misstep to counter their missteps and it was this it was this crazy time I would say my biggest mistake going into this tournament was I was brewing Agrolome at this time to combat the Blade decks, but I didn't feel confident enough to bring it to the tournament uh, at Providence. But at the time, I was playing a deck with zero one-drops. It was Chalice of the Void, and I was playing cards like Devastating Dreams. I actually played Putrefy, so that's how deep we were getting in the tech. Point being, that deck was very good at the time. I like the idea they... of uh, the chalice decks in times of um, mental misstep, but I al- I always was a fan of these uh, Blood Moon chalice decks. But in times of mental misstep, the uh, red cards you could add to your Blood Moons and chalices were really really bad. So let's actually see what Wilson played along with this. Actually, Wilson didn't even play Blood Moon. Uh, never mind. Go on, guys. <laughs> I was just saying at the time I was playing like old school Countryside Crusher, Terravore, etc. Dark Confidant. Um, and it was a good deck, and I just wish I had the confidence at the time to bring it to that tournament. Yeah, so what I want to say about that time, um, I played Natural Order Rock, like I mentioned earlier, and that deck really taught me how to play blue decks. Because that deck really... Like, I can't say enough good things about that deck because that deck really taught me about the value of planning over several turns. And that's something why I feel also quite conflicted about misstep because I I feel I learned more than anything during the misstep era. And at the same time, I'm not unhappy that it's over. So I guess that's that's kind of like a thing when you have like, I don't know, like a very hot, steamy, short-lived relationship where I feel like, oh my God, this has been... This has changed me, but at the same time, this can't continue forever. <laughs> so that's that's my relationship with mental misstep, almost. So yeah, Marius, you said you, you wouldn't mind seeing it back again? 
No, I would not mind seeing it back again. I mean, you you mentioned that in our chat before we started uh, recording. Uh, yeah, I, I already talked about it because everyone can play it, but I can fully understand uh, that the card is not in the format because it's a bit of stu it's a, it's a bit stupid. It's a gamble playing it or play it not, and does not really give your deck uh, consistency. Mental misstep does not make the decks nicer. Let's say it this way. You mean the, the, the play experience Correct. doesn't get better? Yeah, I can, I can see that, right? It's, it's, I, I would even argue that it increases variance because you're basically starting with fewer cards in hand and, and that makes it so awkward. So I'm quite on the side of not unbanning it, even though like there's a ton of other cards that if those got unbanned, I would be much more shocked. And Matthew, you, you want to keep it banned? Is that how I'm yeah. understanding you? Yeah, I mean, I, um, I think it was kind of a stupid card as well um but i didn't mind playing in that era so mm, hard to say i i really don't think that uh, it should come back <laughs> yeah so let's keep it like that let's end it like that i, I think at this point we're gonna wrap it up we've already been uh, i was gonna say stream recording for one and a half hours we still have treasure cruise stick through time senses divining top and all the new school bands to go through uh, if those are going to be interesting, let us know. Like, um, especially Marius is going to have to say a lot about Treasure Cruise Stick Through Time, and <laughs> I guess everybody's got a lot to say about Top. Uh, but the the intention for this episode primarily was to really just zoom you back into time to give you an historic overview of where Legacy is coming from, what the main reasons uh, all these these super important cards to the format have been banned there. And that's what we are trying to, to provide you here. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, definitely let us know. I've... I think we have touched on cards in the past before and afterwards I got a lot of feedback that people wanted to do us more of that and I think right now was the best time nostalgia to really go into is that. A powerful factor, nostalgia. <laughs> especially when the, the right yeah. here and now is a little bit sad. Definitely. So we did actually receive one listener question that I still want to go into and that's from uh, our listener Naden. If you could unban one card in Legacy, survival which would survival. it be? Matt. You go first. <laughs> that was the easy one, right? <laughs> Marius, is there anything you would like to unban in, in yeah, Legacy right now? Survival of the fittest. No. Oh, no, you Marius, too? It was me. <laughs> oh, we, we told it at the same time. Yeah. Everybody wants survival unbanned. Like, I've, I've probably like been pretty vocal about also wanting survival unbanned. Um, I'm... The thing that scares me is the price tag, even though like uh, it's on the reserved list, right? So that's not going away. I can loan you some. We, we could play it online. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually quite conflicted. I want didn't it unbanned just for gameplay they reasons. Print it as a quite an ugly foil. Yeah, they printed it as an ugly foil, but that was um, before 2000, basically before they um, implemented the even harsher restrictions oh, okay. on reserved list cards. They also reprinted other stuff, but then they were like, actually, we can't reprint them at all. So that's a problem for me. If we could ignore that, I'm super down to unbanned survival. Uh, but for the sake of having something else I would like to see unbanned, there's really not much. Like most of the stuff on the reserved list and that I tried out in, in some of these leaks is banned for a reason, and the other stuff I don't think really adds too much. Like, I think there's stuff that can be unbanned, but there's not really anything. I'm looking at the entire list right now where I feel like I want this unbanned. Mm, I mean, I, I would... I, have to really... I, 
yeah, currently as the cards sit, no. I would love to see maybe fixed versions of, say, Deathrite Shaman. For example, I loved playing... We're never going to get that. No, we're never going to get it. But, like, I I don't want to extend the podcast too much, but I love the card. Did a lot for the decks that it was supposed to do things for. Unfortunately, did a lot of stuff for all the other blue decks. I understand why it's banned. It's fine that it's gone. However, I'd love to have a similar card back. Yeah, I I feel you, man. Uh, This deck, (laughs) this card added a lot to elves, but what can you do? By the way, I've been playing a lot of elves lately again. People said that I'm off the deck. I've never been off the deck. I just explored other stuff. I also really enjoy Maverick. And lately, I've been doing really, really well with Oko elves. Have you have you seen that, Matt? I, I have not. I thought it was like a meme. I, I just added Oko to elves, and I was like, okay, let's see how it goes. And I've been really happy with how it, how it has been performing. Oko elves is I've the way. I've been doing really well in the limited paper tournaments that I went to prior to the quarantine with Enchantress, because uh, I was playing Destiny Spinner Enchantress. And oh, that card is absurd. The card is actually absurd. So, um... Yeah, uh, we'll talk about that next time. Yeah, I've, I've actually been streaming Enchantress. You can find it on, on my website and on my YouTube. And Destiny Spinner is, is really... That card is, is something else. That, that's one of the best printing for Enchantress in, in many, many years. But with that, we're going to close it out tonight. I want to give shout-outs to our newest Patreon, Victor Bernanz. I hope I didn't pr- mispronounce your name. Uh, I noticed that you're actually supporting a ton of legacy projects. So really big shout outs to you. Um, all of you guys, not only for our podcasts, but for all the podcasts, uh, the Patreons, the supporters, even the people who just go on Reddit or Twitter and and spread the word about uh, all the legacy projects that are going on. You guys are invaluable. Whether it's my stream, whether it's this podcast, whether it's other podcasts, whether it's like tournaments, for example, Jeremy's 100K sold out immediately it has like 600 650 slots yeah i'm on the wait list it's in like one year in the future almost like more than one year in the future and you're on the wait list yeah. right I, I it's and part of that is that people are really good at spreading the word and being passionate about legacy so thank you so much for that and also thanks to our eternal witness here supporters matt nams valerio james slack and victor bernans as well as the grizzle print here supporters bajubat scott monroe kurosh aliste and Jeremy What's the Gates. highest tier? Thank you so much. That's a Grizzlebrand okay. here. For as much as I had Grizzlebrand, I respect this part. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, we can kind have of a survival tier, but maybe we make an even higher tier, the survival tier. <laughs> but yeah, if you want to support us, head to patreon.com slash everydayeternalfuck. Is it Everyday Eternal Podcast or is it Everyday Eternal? I should Look know Look it up, that. find the right one. You'll see. It's Everyday Eternal. I don't know why I would even add podcast. <laughs> but you can also leave a review on iTunes, which helps new people find our podcast, discover it. Uh, so it ranks up higher than oh, some other podcasts. No, no, every, every legacy podcast is amazing. It's it's more like if you're into this kind of thing, then you you can see a lot of more legacy podcasts in the first place if you if you rate us. And yeah, I think with that, um, Matt, Matt. Yes. Marius, thank you yeah, so much for making the time. My pleasure. And... I'd love to have you back. I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, some more of the band cards. Maybe not for the next episode, so we, we can like switch it up a little bit. But maybe sometime in the future again, because looking at our show notes, we still have a lot to say about uh, Treasure Cruise, Dixlow Time, Census Divining Top, and all the new school bands. And who knows? Maybe even more bands in, in the months to come. Who knows? I mean, the year's still young. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. 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 See you guys. Bye-bye.